Uh, D.L. Moody once said this, The Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. The goal is Christ-like character. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. What he did not say is, I have come so that you might have religion. For the past several months, couple months, we have gone through the Lord's Prayer. And we've taken it line by line and section by section and petition by petition. And we've not done this out of religious obligation. We've not done this to attain knowledge. We've done this to see Jesus. We've done this to have life. We have gone through this perfect prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6. And we've just been patient with it to see the truth. Because we desire to have life. And this is one of the ways Jesus said, hey, pray this way. When Jesus says pray this way, friends, we should pray this way. When Jesus says walk this way, we should walk this way. When Jesus says do these things, we should do these things. So this morning we're concluding our series, Praying God's Will. Each week we have read the Lord's Prayer as shown in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, verses 9 through 13. We, we, we've been reading the New American Standard, and we've read this out loud. And there's a reason we've done that. Because when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, and, and they said, how should we pray? He said, pray this way. And he says, our Father. It starts with our Father. This is a corporate prayer. This is something that is good to do together. We're not going to get religious about it, but guys, this is something that's good to do together. So if you feel comfortable reading out loud, um, let's read this out loud together as, uh, for the last time in the midst of this series, but not the last time as a church. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You've heard of the KGB, right? Well, today I'm going to talk about the KPG. And this is actually how I remember the order of what he says. It's, it's the KPG, not the KBG. It's kingdom, power, glory. Kingdom, power, glory. Whose? Your kingdom, your power, your glory. If you ever forget the order, just remember this cheesy acronym that I put together KPG. So this phrase that Jesus uses to close out the Lord's Prayer, it goes all the way back to King David's public praise of God at a gathering of Israel. In 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13, we read about that public declaration of praise. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you 
O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that just majestic? So what Jesus did is He took that declaration, that majestic declaration of praise that David brought forth into the large assembly of Israel and He condenses it to yours, O O Father, yours, O God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Or some people say forever and ever. And some say forever and ever and ever. Amen. David said it. David's one forever and ever. Forever. When David says yours is the kingdom O Lord and you are exalted over all this was a way of David setting right the kingship the acknowledgement as God of king over all of Israel. Israel begged for a king. They begged for a king. God's like, you got one. You got one. They're like, no, no, we want a real king. We want a man. We want a man to rule us. And they begged for a king and they got it. This is David's way of saying, he is king. He is king. He is king over all. The Lord is king of all. I'm not your king. I'm not the king of Israel. He's the king. Every person in a place of leadership or authority or responsibility would do well to remember this exact same thing and always make declaration who the boss is. Who's in charge? Who's our king? Who's our Lord? King David humbly and rightly acknowledged that he himself was under God's reign. So, sometimes some strange or weird things get said in in Christian circles. Um, So I want to be abundantly clear about something. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. It's not our kingdom. But our gracious God, our generous God, shares His kingdom with us. Welcomes us into His kingdom, shares the kingdom with us and says it's yours. But guys, we never forget who the king is. We never forget whose kingdom it is. Matthew 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is how the Sermon on the Mount began. These were the words that Jesus used. The Lord's Prayer that we've been covering here in Matthew 6, it's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how it begins. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then a few verses later in verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You guys, we're never told to seek our own kingdom. And we're not blessed for building our own kingdom. But we seek His kingdom. We build His kingdom. And there's blessing in it. And there's fulfillment in it. And the kingdom gets advanced. And souls get saved. And our God gets glorified. And that's why it's important to remember whose kingdom it is. When we repeat the words, Yours is the kingdom. We affirm not only that He is our King, but that the kingdom belongs to Him. You guys, every single one of us has the need to belong. We have needs. We have needs. There, you know, in college, you know, you hear about, I think it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you look at the most base level, well, before I go to the base level needs, at the top of that, the, the need of, and this isn't even a Christian concept, but at the top of that triangle, the base, the, the most crucial need was if you're a painter, paint. That you, you have to, If you're a painter, you have to paint. If you're a singer, you have to sing. If you're a blank, you have to blank. And I love that. I love that from the Christian standpoint because as a child of God, there's things I can't help. I have to be me. I have to be me. And I have to point people to Jesus. But on the, the bottom of that, there were simple needs. There's needs of daily bread was included in that. There was sustenance and rest and all of those things. But the need to belong, we all have that need. We all have that need. I want to throw this out there right now. You belong. You belong here because this is part of His church which glorifies Him and advances His kingdom. And you belong in His kingdom. Now that that belonging requires believing. That belonging requires believing. But if you're not at the place of believing yet, I want you to know you still belong. Because we have a patient God. We serve a loving God. And He's very patient with us. And He understands sometimes we process things and we work things out. And it takes a while before we believe. So even if you don't believe, you belong. You belong. God's patient with you and we are too. Patient in what? Patient in your journey. Patient in your walking out. Patient in your uncertainty. Patient in whatever. We all have a different path to walk. We all have a different journey. We've all have different things that have filtered, that are part of our past and that affect our our future. But I will say this. Jesus Christ died for every one of us and Jesus Christ is the way and the only way to the Father for all of us. But He loves us enough to let us have our unique ways of of seeking Him, of calling out to Him so that He can respond, so that He can guide. Luke 12.31 says this, Instead, seek His kingdom 
and these things will be added to you. These things, as he mentioned, were the need for clothing and the need to be fed and, and daily needs. These things will be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Who did the Father give the kingdom to? Affectionately named in this verse. Who does He give the kingdom to? His little flock. How loving is that? His little flock. His church. The kingdom is given to His church. Why? The church is given full access to the kingdom of God so that the power of God can be displayed. So that the power of God can be used in trustworthy hands. The church. So that the power of God can be manifest. You guys, the church is God's visible vehicle for expressing His power. The church is the tangible, visible way that He intended that His power Kingdom power would be manifest. His intent was that now, through the church, the power and wisdom of God should be made known. We know this because it says so in, in uh, Ephesians 3, verse 10. It says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That through the what? Through the church. Through the church, His wisdom is made known. You guys, you and I are part of this tangible, visible work. We're part of this. We're part of this. When, when, when we're reading about this, this is us we're talking about. We are part of that tangible, visible means of letting His power be known. So when you and I utter the words, Yours is the kingdom. We don't represent ourselves. When we utter the words, yours is the kingdom, we represent His church. Yours is the kingdom and the power. Yours is the kingdom and the power. The word power that is used here is the word dunamis. It's, it's the word that we get dynamite from. It's the explosive power of God. Dunamis is the enabling energy or power of the Holy Spirit that makes things happen. So when we say yours is the power, we refer to the Holy Spirit's power. It is the same word that Jesus used when he said to the disciples before his ascension in Luke 24:49, he says, Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then again in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power. You will receive dunamis. You will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The point here is this. Only the enabling power of the Holy Spirit 
can make the kingdom real to us. You know, I talked about having a sense of belonging. You guys, we don't belong just to belong. The kingdom of God is not a, a social club where entrance is the end-all be-all. That's, that's not why we belong. We are meant to manifest His power so that the world sees He's real. Boldness. So talk about Jesus when I'm scared as heck. That's power. We're supposed to represent His power. To say yours is the power is to confess our complete helplessness. It is. Once again, humility, guys. I preached on that last week. Humility. To say yours is the power is to confess my helplessness that I have no power. Yours is the power. That I have no power. Yours is the power. That I have limited strength. Yours is the strength. That whatever strength I have, it can't accomplish the things that are needed to change lives, to advance the kingdom, to bring people into the arms of a loving God. When I talk about power, sometimes this is used interchangeably with the word anointing. Power. Anointing. You guys, this is what's... It's power, it's anointing that opens our eyes and that allows us to receive the truth. It's power. It's anointing that opens our eyes and our hearts. Whether the Word of God comes alive to us, whether we couldn't understand it before, but now all of a sudden it's life and it jumps out of the pages to us. And it's Logos and it's Rhema and it's written and it's revealed. It's the power and the anointing that help us overcome fear. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us boldness to graciously talk about Jesus. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled the disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's that power that will enable us to do the same thing. So let's look at a story, a true story in the Bible, that, that incredibly shows the difference that God's power makes when trying to advance the kingdom of God. And let me set the scene here for us now. We're going to be reading out of Mark 14 in just a moment. This is Mark's telling of the Last Supper. Jesus had just gotten there doing communion, breaking bread, and pouring wine and saying, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the covenant of my blood. The covenant that I'm making with you. And, And then he says, for many... For many. I'm making this covenant with many. And then he says, but one of you is going to betray me. So that's so imagine being in that intimate setting, in that upper room, in this intimate setting, and, and emotions are, you know, we're emotional people. So emotions are going in this. And then verse 26, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. 
you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is even quoting Scripture in this. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now he's prophesying. Now he's saying what's going to happen. He's, he's, there's a heaviness to it, but he's bringing hope. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter is a strong dude. Peter is a confident dude. He knows his resolve. He knows his strength. He knows what's in his heart. He believes this. I don't believe he's putting on a show. He believes this. He knows what's in his heart. So much so, in fact, that in front of the other disciples, he has the audacity, the unmitigated gall to say, even though all of them will be weak. He might as well have, right? He might as well have been like, even though all of them will be weak and will fall away, I will not. (laughs) Oh. To say something like that in the midst of an already emotionally packed meeting takes a lot of confidence on Peter's part. I imagine at this time, the disciples had some very specific thoughts about Peter. I, I know, I know some Spanish cuss words. I know, I know one Samoan profanity. I know a lot of English cuss words. I don't know any Hebrew cuss words, but I'm certain the disciples did, and that they thought them at these time. I mean, just the gall of Peter. Jesus saves Peter. Jesus is always merciful. He jumps back in. And in verse 30, it says, And Jesus said to Peter, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then they all said the same. Then they all said the same. Peter did not believe Jesus when Jesus said that he would deny him. Peter was so confident in his strength and so confident in even, I think, his affection for Christ. Peter didn't believe Jesus. Jesus quoted Scripture. Peter didn't believe it. Jesus is saying, this is what has to happen. It's written in the Word. It's got to be fulfilled. Peter didn't believe it. Jesus said, good news is, I'm going to raise from the dead. You're going to meet me in Galilee. Peter didn't believe it. Why? Because he knew his strength. He knew his resolve. He knew his affection. He knew his love. All of those things were inadequate. Friends, all of these things in us and for us, in and of ourselves, they're inadequate. They're not enough. I don't care how much resolve we have, I don't care how much love we have, they're not enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit moving and living in us. A power that's beyond what we have 
that's more loving than what we have. Peter did not believe Jesus. He didn't believe that he would deny Christ. But hours later, he was a complete coward when a servant girl said, you're with him. And he caved. And he cowered. And he denied and he denied and he denied. How could Peter do this? After his bold declaration, after his demonstrative grandstanding, how could Peter do this? Peter denied Jesus because his strength alone was not enough. And left to himself, he was filled with fear. He was empty of strength. He was empty of confidence. In a word, he was devoid of the Holy Spirit's power. He was so sure that he would be strong within himself and sincerely thought that he would never deny Jesus. But he did. Friends, there are a lot of things that we think in and of our our own strength we will never do. But if we're trying to do it outside the strength of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, we're doomed to fail. We're doomed to fail. Last week I talked about temptations and testing and trials. And we don't sit there and go, as Peter, as Peter said, I could have used Peter as an example last week. No, I can do this. I'm up for the challenge. I'm up for it. Test me, Lord. Prove me, Lord. I will never deny you. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is like, pray to the Lord, lead me not into testing. Lead me not into trial. Lord, lead me not into an unnecessary test of my character because, Lord, I'm, I'm sure to fail. Outside of you, I'm sure to fail. However, I love the fact that Peter has an however. Peter actually has a lot of howevers. However, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was as bold as a lion. Preaching with power and liberty and confidence and authority before thousands of fellow Jews. And he shook them up. He delivered one of the most powerful and anointed messages of all time. Let's look at the end of that message and let's look at what the results of that message were. Acts 2.37 Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit like I now have. And it's awesome! What a difference the Holy Spirit makes. Cowering. In the presence of a servant girl. Or boldly declaring like a lion. In front of thousands with no fear of of death. Instead of mocking 
and laughing at Peter. What happened? Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How big was that crowd? If 3,000 was the number we get of, of who trusted in Jesus that day. What can bring about this kind of transformation? Only the power of the Holy Spirit bringing forth the truth of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Guys, the transformation in this story was not just upon Peter. The transformation was not just upon taking taking a man who was confident in his own abilities and, and then, you know, and, and transforming him. The crowd was transformed. The crowd was completely transformed that day. We all have within us the need to be strong. No one wants to be weak. No one wants to be weak. We have that need to be strong. The weak want to be strong and the strong want to be stronger. And most people want to have power. We want to have control. We want to have power. We want to affect change. We want to be influential. We want power. And that's not wrong. Those things I mentioned are not wrong. I want to have influence. I want to be strong. But most people never get the amount of power that they want and what this world offers. They just don't. That's, that's, That's a fact. Most of us, we strive for power, we strive for influence, we strive for authority, we strive for these things in the world standards, and most of us never, ever get it. Not in that. But in Christ Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, we get a power that changes lives. We get a power that changes the world. We get a power that heals the sick, that causes the scales to come off eyes so that people see the truth. We get a power that raises the dead and brings life. In Jesus Christ, every single one of us have access to the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And in Christ, we have a reservoir of strength to draw from. That's so much bigger than anything that we have within this earthen vessel. You want to affect and influence lives? You want to change lives? You want to have power? For yours is the power. It's a matter of focus. Church, it's a matter of focus. For yours is the power. It's an acknowledgement that He is almighty and that I am not. That He is all-powerful and you are not. Only the power of God. Only the power of God can lead to thousands being saved and converted in hours. Only the power of God can take people who are opinionated 
and blind and cold and hard and transform them into people that are soft and tender and open and eager to do whatever God tells them. Look at that in Acts chapter 2. What should we do? What should we do? Repent and be baptized. Done! There were 3,000. Only the Holy Spirit could do that, guys. Only the power of God through the Holy Spirit can do that. And, and, and Jesus says, hey guys, it's better that I go away. Before Jesus died, before He was crucified, before He rose from the grave and ascended, He said, it is better that I go away. So the Father can send the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. Power, guys. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The KPG forever, yo. Woo! So when we say the words, yours is the glory, what this mainly means is that we must not forget to give God credit for what He does. All the credit. All the credit, guys. And just, and hear my heart. All the credit. All the credit. I grew up in church. I grew up in church. I grew up seeing the miraculous. I, I, you know, I grew up around church folk, good church folk, but I'd hear things where someone would say, Praise God, God did this. And then someone would go, Hallelujah, I've been fasting and praying. So of course it happened. What? 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 No, I mean, I like fasting and praying. But I'm not going to elbow in on God's glory. We should never elbow in on God's glory. He gets the glory. Praise God that you were fasting and praying. But you don't throw that in as the reason why this happens. God gets the glory. Why? For yours is the glory. This is about humility. The, the Lord's Prayer, man, it's about humility. A humble acknowledgement that I need you. Yours is the power. Yours is the kingdom. Lord, yours is the grace. Yours is the love. Yours is all that I need. We don't elbow in on God's glory. When God answers our prayers and our petitions that are listed in the Lord's Prayer, we must give Him all the glory that is due Him. You guys, we don't want to be elbowing in on God's glory. John 5.44 says this, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Guys, when we try and receive the glory, man, that affects our belief. That affects our belief. Our belief becomes a little skewed because we start to believe that I'm strong, that I'm powerful, that I will never deny you. We start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought when we start when we start looking for that from men. Guys, Talk about needs. I mentioned needs before. The needs to belong, the needs to have to be strong. You guys, we have the need for validation. 
as people, we have the need for validation. I have the need for acceptance. We have the need for attaboys. We have the need for attagirls. We, we have that need, guys. And that's not bad. The needs I've mentioned, none of them are bad. The need for validation. It's not bad. But when we pray the Lord's Prayer, concluding with yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, we are promising not to forget to give Him all the glory. Do we do this? Do we do this? Do we give Him all the glory for what He does? One of the worst mistakes we could make is just to underestimate that God wants all the glory. He does. You know why? Because you are awesome, but you can't save. And I'm swell, but I can't save. But when God gets the glory, the one who can save gets the glory. Now we're looking at the one who can save. I can't transform hearts. I can't I can't heal the deepest places of someone. Heck, I, I can't heal the most shallow places on their skin. Now in Jesus and with his power, we pray it, we proclaim it, we see it, and we're used in it. But he gets the glory because it's his power. It's his kingdom. And so it makes sense that it's his glory. You guys, our strength will never be enough. And that said, if we're seeking for the validation from men, yes, it'll never be enough. Because sometime you're going to do something really fantastic and no one's going to acknowledge it. You're going to do something really awesome and really kind and no one's going to acknowledge it or give you that girl or that boy. And if we're looking for that from men, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to be hurt. And we're probably going to blame God. We're definitely going to blame others. None of it's good. But if we do it, acknowledging, saying, Jesus Christ is my prize. Jesus Christ is your reward. He is my prize. We do this for Him. We do this for the sake of the King. For the sake of the advancement of the Kingdom. When we do it for Him, and we want Him to get all the glory, then we can just look at, we can look at the attaboys we get as like the cherry. And I like attaboys. You guys know that. I like attaboys. But see, if it's just the cherry, then I'm like, oh, that's so great. It's just so pretty. Everything else is brown and white and nutty. And then there's a little cherry on top. I love the sundae. I love the fudge. I love the ice cream. The cherry is nice. But I love... When I'm giving Him the glory, then I'm able to focus on what's most important. And then this, in this bad analogy, the ice cream sundae and the hot fudge and everything, that's, that's the, what's most important. This is not an excuse for us to be thoughtless. This is not an excuse for us not to be grateful. This is not an excuse for us to be whatever. We, we, need to, we need to encourage one another. It's all throughout the Word. But when it comes to the glory, it's all His.
The intent here is that God wants us to remember that the kingdom is His and the power always comes from Him, not from us. And that the glory must always go to Him. These closing words, these encouraging, magnifying closing words of the Lord's Prayer are words of wisdom. They're words of empowering. But as the rest of the prayer and the seven petitions we covered, the seven requests, they all require a humility. They, are, they all require this same thing. We've got to want God's will. We have to want God's will. We have to pray God's will. We must truly see the advantages and the necessity of God having His way in our lives. Getting God's will brings blessing and joy and peace and strength. Getting our will it's a grab bag, friends. It's a grab bag. You don't know what you're going to get. We want God's will to be done. So we pray it. If we trust God, then we should always want Him to get His way. When you and your spouse are fighting, we want God to have His way. We want God's will to be done. When your boss is just being thick, just being a rockhead, You want God to have His way. When we're between between a rock and a hard place, we want God to have His way. When we're in the midst of struggle and pain, we want God to have His way. God's way is always better. God is always trustworthy. This is why we pray God's will.